here right now in this moment, this sweet moment of your presence. God, we declare this one thing. You are Lord. You are Lord. You are worthy. You are Lord of this church. And our heart is simply this, Lord. Just come, have your way. Come, have your way. Our hearts are surrendered. Our hearts yield to what you say. Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you for your presence, Lord. What a sweet, sweet moment with the Lord. You know, I have to say this. I, I love, I love this church. I love this church. A lot of you come up to me and you come up to the worship team after Sundays and we always get an encouragement to, from you and just, oh, we're so blessed today and what a, what a sweet moment of worship with the Lord today. And let me just say this. You all make our job easy. <laughs> you really do because you're ready. There's a hunger in your heart for the Lord. And honestly, if I could just say this, sometimes it feels like as a team, it feels like we can do no wrong. (laughs) And that's not to like pat ourselves on the back or anything like that. It's really just gratefulness for what God is doing in you and you're bringing it into this atmosphere, into this room. And we simply all get to experience it together. Amen. Grateful for you. Grateful for you. Well, let's go ahead and have a seat, and we'll, uh, we'll get into it today. And to everyone online, for those of you watching online, uh, you get me for one more week, so you have to suffer through me again. I apologize. No, I'm kidding. I, um, I, I really want to continue talking about uh, transformational culture transformational culture. We started talking about that last week, and before I get into it, can you do me a favor? Um, we're going to open up to two places today. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to two. The first place uh, I'm going to have you open up to is 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. Hold your place there. Put a finger there. Put a bookmark there or something. Hold your spot there, and then jump over to Psalm 131, and we're going to use this uh, this psalm today as kind of like a springboard to get into everything. So, uh, so yeah, last week we, we started talking about uh, transformation uh, and building, developing a transformational culture and that God's heart is for cities. God's heart is for society. Yes, 
He sees you. Yes, he goes after the one. He leaves the 99 and goes after the one. But that's all to create momentum into the masses. Because God, God's heart is that all men come to the knowledge of the truth, right? Um, we talked about King David transferring over to the next generation, to his son, King Solomon, a presence oriented culture, and that impacted a nation, but it didn't just impact the nation of Israel. It, it drew the attention of all the surrounding nations to where they came to inquire, what is it that you have? They didn't come to destroy, to usurp. They came to inquire because they wanted a piece of it. And... Uh, David was a great leader. David was a great leader. Solomon was also a great leader. And sometimes, sometimes we conflate their greatness, their strength as leaders with things like determination, diligence, uh, communication skills, leadership skills, military prowess, all these kinds of things, which all contributed, don't get me wrong, uh, but I want to read here in Psalm 131, and uh, I think David and Solomon thought of themselves differently than you might realize. Um, so if you're there, let's pick it up in verse 1, Psalm 131, and it says this, Lord, this is David writing, he says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I concern myself with great matters nor with things too profound for me. I find it interesting that David writes this because if you, if you think about it, David was probably uh, the most powerful man on the planet. Uh, maybe, maybe the richest man on the planet. Um, he governed the most powerful nation along with he built the most powerful military on the planet at that time. So David writes, writes this, and he had an unbelievable amount of responsibility, an incredible weight that he carried. I mean, developing government structure, Navigating warfare strategies, uh, ma- making national decisions. Yet, that guy writes, I do not concern myself with great matters. And I, I think there's something in that statement that uncovers, that reveals a secret ingredient, a truth that was in David. Um, we're going to read more of this in just a little bit, but 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7, Solomon speaking with the Lord says this, Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Um, have you ever felt like you had a responsibility for something, that you had this weight, this assignment on you that you just... 
you felt completely unqualified for? Parenting anybody? (laughs) Right? Like, you're in this role, you're in this position, and you're just completely inadequate, and you're thinking in the back of your head, oh boy, I'm I'm not the right choice for this job. Anybody ever feel like that? Both these men, David and Solomon, were great and strong kings, great leaders. But how did they see themselves? And I think there's something in these statements that we just read from these men that prophesies true strength to us. It's not, it's not a strength that comes from human devotion, um, intellect, discipline, okay? Even though all those things do hold value, okay? But I think their strength really came from a place of complete and total dependency for God to show up and do what only God can do. And I want to lean into that today, okay? So again, in the context of transformational culture, uh, we're going to jump into 1 Kings chapter 3, and we'll pick it up in verse 4. You there? All right. Let's read it together. It's a little lengthy. I'm going to kind of pause here and there and kind of unpack some things, so uh, just bear with me. Verse 4, it says this, Now the king, Solomon, uh, went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Just real quick, we talked about this last week, about the high place, how that represents self-will. Here is Solomon. He is offering burnt offerings and sacrifices at the high place. So just make note of that. Verse 5, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart. Understanding heart, that literally means a hearing ear. Therefore, give to your servant a hearing ear or an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? Let's stop there for a sec. So this is a familiar story, a famous story of Solomon requesting God for wisdom. We say it's Solomon requesting wisdom because we'll read in just a little bit that that's exactly what God gives him. But Solomon didn't necessarily ask for wisdom, did he? God gave him wisdom. But Solomon requested a hearing ear. A hearing ear. Okay? On one side of the coin, you have wisdom. But then on the other side of the coin, you have a hearing ear. The pathway to wisdom is a hearing ear. 
It's a hearing ear that gives us access to wisdom because Solomon is essentially acknowledging that this is not human wisdom. This is a wisdom that comes from another realm. This is wisdom that comes from another world. And he's simply saying, if I don't hear you, God, then I don't get it. Then I don't get it. It's interesting that Solomon would ask that when he could ask for anything. God basically gives him a blank check, doesn't he? Ask me anything. It's interesting to me that Solomon asks that. You, you see the tenderness in his heart for the people of Israel. But I think what's even more interesting is actually what precedes the request. And what precedes the request is actually a confession. God, I'm a child. I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. In other words, I don't know how to carry this assignment. I don't know how to do this, what you've given me. I don't have the ability, I don't have the ability to go out there and represent this office well and still come back in here and be consistent with what you've given me. And I find this interesting that Solomon is saying this because ever since he was a child, David, his father, has been preparing Solomon for this role. Ever since he was born, it was known, it was declared that Solomon would be the successor to the throne. Solomon has been preparing for this his whole life. As a child, as an adolescent, as a teenager, young adult years into his adult years. He's been training. He's been at all the meetings. And suddenly, he finds himself in this exchange with God, this meeting with God in a dream. And he says, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm a child. Somehow, all the preparation, all the training, that didn't alleviate the weight of what he was carrying. He was overwhelmed. And it just makes me think that if I've got this feeling that if you're not overwhelmed, by the assignment that God gives you, then maybe you don't see your assignment very clearly. Amen. Here's why. Because God wouldn't give you an assignment that you could just do on your own. Bringing heaven to earth is not a solo act. Jesus wouldn't leave and then say, the Father will send the Holy Spirit to you, the helper, just so you can do it on your own. And there's something about divine purpose when you discover divine purpose in your life, even with Solomon. The revelation of divine purpose brought this most powerful man on the planet to his knees. He realized how small he was for the task, no matter how much preparation or training. And he cried out, God, I just, I need to hear you. I can't do this. Let's keep reading verse 10. It says, 
And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. (laughs) I find it interesting that God called it a speech. Uh, The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart. God gave him wisdom. So that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And... Now listen, if you have a prayer and God says, ask me anything, and you hear a lot of ands, ooh, that's a good, that's a good response from the Lord, right? <laughs> and I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, and indeed, it had been a dream. And pay attention to this. And he came to Jerusalem, stood by the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. God loved what was in Solomon's heart. He loved what was in Solomon's heart. Solomon said, I need a hearing ear. I need to hear you. And God said, you got it. But not just that. Here's all the other things. All the other important things that you'll need, I'm giving it to you. Does, does this remind you of a familiar passage in, in the New Testament? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. It's a kingdom principle, isn't it? We're seeing this activated right here in this moment that Solomon that Solomon has with the Lord. When your priorities are right and God searches the motives of our hearts, when your priorities are right, there's a trickle effect on the things that you don't even pray about. There's a trickle effect on the things that you don't even pray about. Maybe it's things that you see are important, but maybe it's for another time because you realize, no, I need this one thing. Maybe it's things that aren't even on your radar. Maybe it's things you don't even realize that you do need. But here's the point. God knows. He knows, and he's not trying to withhold anything from us. He knows what you need. Because he's already written the story. (laughs) He's the script, he's the script writer, he's the director, and you're you're the lead character. All these things will be added unto you. Jesus, when he was when he was ministering on the earth, uh, he delivered he delivered the most famous sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you'll find it in Matthew's, Matthew chapter six, uh, 5, 6, and 7. And I believe Jesus identified a very specific trait in King David and, uh, that was in King David and King Solomon. He started the sermon with these words, blessed or blessed, which basically means a, uh, not just happy, 
but it's a deep, a deep and profound happiness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. It's, it's interesting with poor in spirit because a lot of times poor in spirit can get confused or conflated with self-criticism, self-judgment, self-loathing, beating oneself up, self-condemnation, all that kind of stuff. That, listen, that's a counterfeit. That's fake to what poor in spirit really is. And here's, here's how you can tell. People who, who carry self-condemnation, self-judgment, all, all that garbage, okay? People who carry that, they don't have courage for anything. They don't take risks, okay? But people who are poor in spirit they do have faith and courage to take risks. You know why? Because their entire life is built on the belief that God will show up and do what only he can do, that he is the God of promise, that he is the God of the covenant. Listen, if, if what you see in front of you if you're overwhelmed by what you see and you don't know how and you don't see how it's all going to work, but you can still come to the Lord and say, here I am, Lord, send me. That's poor in spirit. That's poor in spirit. You know, the other interesting part of Jesus' sermon he starts off with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is a kingdom. And he talks about a few other uh, beatitudes. And uh, for instance, you have, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful, you shall, for they shall obtain mercy. Um, if you're merciful, you obtain mercy. But if you're poor in spirit, you get the whole kingdom. You just don't get a piece of it. You get the whole thing. I truly believe it was poor in spirit that made David great. It was poor in spirit that attracted God into the bedroom while Solomon slept and basically offered him a blank check. On the, uh, on the flip side of this, one of the most astonishing things that you see in the Gospels um, in Jesus' life is that you have these groups of people who were well-trained in the Scriptures. They were students of the Word, but they were clueless as to who Jesus was when he was standing right in front of them. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, 
They were all trained to know what was supposed to happen and when. But yet they completely missed the Messiah when he was here. They were trained. Students of the word. Now, let me, let me clarify this. And it doesn't mean that if you're a student of the scriptures that you have a strike against you. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that if you are a student of the word, you better have a hearing ear. Because it's the Holy Spirit who interprets his own book. Amen? It's way, listen, it's way too easy, way too easy to think you know how God is going to show up next. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they memorized the entire law, the Torah. They knew the prophets. They could quote it to you, give you a scripture off the top of their head. They knew it forward and backward. But they missed the move of God. You know, oddly enough, during that time, the prostitute, the woman caught in adultery, she knew, who, she knew exactly who Jesus was. You remember the story of uh, Zacchaeus, the little, little man, a little, little man was he? <laughs> he was a tax collector. Basically, a, uh, a, a government government-sponsored thief. His own people hated him. He knew exactly who Jesus was. In fact, he climbed a tree to get a better look, right? <laughs> if, you look at, if you look at the list of the bad guys, the bad people, sinners, in the Gospels, Every single one of them knew exactly who Jesus was. Which is so interesting to me because on one hand, you have these people who are students of the word, who study, who prepare and train to know what God is doing and what God is going to do. They study the prophecies, but they missed the Messiah. They didn't know who Jesus was. And yet over here, you have these people who are not pursuing a righteous lifestyle whatsoever. But when they faced Jesus, they knew exactly who he was. And there's something about this this awareness of, of need, this void that exists in every single one of us. It's this void that positions our hearts to recognize what God is doing. Okay, so with Zacchaeus and the prostitute, they were locked in a lifestyle of sin, but that awakened them to this awareness of need. Okay? And I, I'm, I'm not saying that you need sin in order to recognize what God is doing. That's not what I'm saying at all. Because even for Solomon, it wasn't even necessarily sin. It was the weight of the assignment on his life, the responsibility that he had to carry. 
that awakened this need for a hearing ear. Honestly, I, I just, I really think it's the condition of life that constantly broadcasts to us that we need him. We need him. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 5. He, he comes to Matthew, who is also a tax collector, and Jesus calls out to Matthew, come follow me. So Matthew says yes to Jesus, comes and follows Jesus, but he, he throws Jesus and his disciples a feast, and all these other tax collectors and sinners come along, and they're feasting with Jesus and his disciples. And the Pharisees and Sadducees confront Jesus about it. And they, they ask him, why are you eating and drinking with these, with these tax collectors and these sinners? You know, this us and them superiority complex, right? And I find Jesus' answer really interesting because he answers to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Was Jesus really telling them, hey, you know, to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Was he really telling them, hey, don't worry about it. You guys are okay. These people are sick. I just need to minister to them. No, I I don't think that's what he was saying. Especially if you look at the tension that was constantly between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and Jesus. I don't think he was telling them that they were okay. I think he was telling them, you don't know that you're sick. You don't know. You don't know that you're diseased. You don't see the void. You don't see that you're in need. And if if they couldn't recognize that they were diseased, if they couldn't recognize that they were sick, then they couldn't value what Jesus brought them. Does that that make sense? Does that make sense? Yeah? They couldn't value what Jesus brought them. Sometimes people who love the Lord, people who study the scriptures and are pursuing the Lord, sometimes people, those people don't recognize what God is doing simply because they stopped listening. They don't need God anymore. I don't think anybody would say it that way. But sometimes when, you, when you've seen God move, you think that's how he's going to do it again. And you can, miss the, you can miss what God is doing, the fresh thing that God is doing. You know, we often think, well, that's for, unbel- that's for non-believers. No, that's not what we're talking about. Well, that's only for the baby Christians. No, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> it's interesting because you see in the New Testament, Paul writes all these epistles to these various churches, to Corinth, to Philippi, to Galatia, and uh, particularly one to Ephesus. And when you read the book of Ephesians, it's such a powerful, powerful book, but yet it's... The one book that Paul writes in all, to all the various churches, it's the one book that doesn't have um, 
a, a point of correction in it. All the other books that he wrote to all the different churches, there, were, there was a, a, a form of correction or recalibration that he needed to address, but not with the church at Ephesus. No, no, no. These people, they were growing in maturity. They were growing in authority. And with people who are growing in maturity and authority, what do you give them? What do you teach them? You're seated in the heavenly places. All the secrets of heaven, the mysteries of heaven. That's what the book of Ephesians is all about. Spiritual authority. So you have this group of people who are growing in the knowledge of God. But it's interesting to me because in the book of Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is addressing seven different churches, one of them being the church in Ephesus. And Jesus, talking to the church in Ephesus, says, I see all the things that you've done. I see the growth, the maturity. I see how you've confronted the false, prof- uh, the, the false prophets, the false uh, apostles. I see how you've pursued, how you've, uh, you've gone through tribulation and persecution, yet you're still standing. Jesus is encouraging them. And then he says this one thing. He says, but I have this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. You've lost your first love. And Jesus, you can almost hear Jesus pleading with the church. Do you remember? Come back. Remember what we had in the beginning? The invitation was return to that. Let's, let's find that again. Solomon, Solomon inherited a presence-oriented culture from his father, David. And Solomon started off well for a season. But as many of us know, he didn't end well. I still believe that, even with what we talked about last week, I still believe that Solomon's life, when you read through his life and you read the Proverbs and the songs that he wrote, I believe his life is a prophetic prototype of New Testament life, New Testament life of how we impact the world around us today. And it wasn't because, it's not because Solomon was a know-it-all. Yes, he received wisdom from another world, but he wasn't a know-it-all. He just knew where to get the answers, right? He started off with extraordinary blessing, but it eventually crumbled. Why? Because the high place of worship didn't have the presence. Remember when we first read today in First uh, Kings 3, that Solomon was at Gibeon offering burnt offerings and sacrifices at the high place. At this point, Solomon isn't even worshiping other gods. He's worshiping Yahweh. He's offering these sacrifices and burnt offerings at the high place to Yahweh. But the problem is that God wasn't even attending the meeting. Because where was the presence? Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant. These were sacrifices that God didn't even request. You know, you find a similar scenario in the New Testament. 
with Mary and Martha. Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, in their home, teaching. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, absorbing every word that comes from Jesus' mouth. But where's Martha? Martha's in the kitchen. She's working. She's serving. She's making sandwiches for Jesus that he didn't even order. You see, because worshiping through self-will, worshiping with human reason, isn't yielding to what God has said or what God is saying. And in fact, historically speaking, it always brings a resistance to the move of God. Listen, a resistance that sometimes we don't even realize that is happening. Worshiping, okay, I'm gonna say something and it's gonna sound really funky, (laughs) but just give me a moment to explain it, okay? So, uh, you ready? (laughs) Uh, Worshiping on high places where God isn't shows the possible failure and weakness that enters a life because they were blessed. Okay, I know it sounds funny. Let me say it one more time. Worshiping on high places where God isn't shows the possible failure and weakness that enters a life because they were blessed. It's a careless regard that begins to take shape a careless regard for what God says in his word. And interestingly, many times this is practiced by those who have experienced the blessing and the favor of God. The more we become a blessed people, the greater the possibility to read into the blessing that we can do as we please with what God has given us. I told you it would sound funny. (laughs) But listen, let's pay attention to what Solomon did. Where was he at the beginning of the chapter? He was at Gibeon at the high place, right? Where was he at the end of what we read? He awoke from the dream, and where did he go? He went back down to Jerusalem, to the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence was because he instantly became aware that worshiping at a place where God isn't doesn't cut it. What's the point of what I'm trying to say here? The point is this. The blessing, the favor of God, is dangerous. Now, I know that sounds crazy, because I can show you all throughout Scripture that God is a God of blessing. He is the covenant God that brings favor and blessing to his people. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift is from the Father above, right? It's not that God is trying to withhold anything from us. It's absolutely, it's absolutely true that the Lord's heart 
is for blessing his people. Yet it's equally true that the scriptures say in Proverbs 10 that God doesn't add sorrow to his blessing or to his promises. In other words, God's promises, his blessing, his favor is never meant to destroy you. It's never meant to destroy you. Because one, that would be really cruel. (laughs) And two, that goes against the very nature of his character as a good and righteous God, right? God wants for his people to be blessed, but what happens sometimes is people build up a, a cavalier, a casualness and a carelessness with God's favor and blessing on their lives. Casual in the sense that there's, there's no longer a personal obligation to have a hearing ear anymore, simply because, well, we achieved the breakthrough. I believe this is what happened with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I believe this is what happened with the church in Ephesus. I believe if you look at the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, you look at the early church in the New Testament and even after, in the years after, even if you look at, I've been reading these biographies of ministers and uh, 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 revival evangelists in the 19th and 20th century, people like uh, William Seymour, John G. Lake, uh, Smith Wigglesworth, um, Catherine Kuhlman, um, Amy Simple McPherson, uh, just to name a few. Um, their stories are phenomenal, phenomenal stories. It generated movements. It generated entire societies and regions to be transformed. But it died off. Sometimes, why does this happen? Because sometimes when you already learn how God moved, then we think we know how he's going to move next. And we know what to expect. Let me say this. God, God is still looking for people who don't know what to do. Let me say it another way. God is still looking for people who don't know what they're doing. (laughs) Why? Because it's the poor in spirit who get the whole kingdom. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. (laughs) Melissa, can can you come up here? I actually want to take a moment. Um, I want to pray into some things. I think this is a, a unique opportunity with what God has been teaching us these past couple of weeks of, one, valuing his presence, but two, knowing that when we value his presence, it transforms the environment around us. But listen, folks. God wants to bless us. 
not for the sake of us building our own empires, not for the sake of us building our own ministries, but he wants to bless us because he wants his kingdom. He wants heaven to come to earth. And you're his choice. You're his choice. It's an incredible weight. It's an incredible assignment. And if we are to be people who carry it well, then we have to maintain a purity before him. I don't know what to do. I'm like a child. I'm like a child. I need you. Just because God has moved in our lives before doesn't mean that's the same way he's going to do it. Aren't you thankful that Jesus didn't spit in somebody's eye more than once? Because then we'd all be going around spitting in each other's eyes, right? Well, Jesus did it that way. You know what? Let's do this. Can we stand? Can we stand together? I just, I just want to take a moment, and I want to pray over you, but I want you to join me as well. Don't just let me pray, because this is every single one of us. This has nothing to do with your socioeconomic status. This has nothing to do with your family upbringing. This has nothing to do with your education. This has everything to do with a heart that is vulnerable before the Lord, a heart that is poor in spirit. Can we just offer up a prayer to the Lord and say, I need you. Jesus, I need you. For those of you online, you're not exempt from this. Come on, hold out your hands and just pray this to the Lord. I need you. I need your presence. Lord, I want to see what you see. I want to think the way you think. I want to say what you say because that's all that this world needs, Lord, is just a word from you. Transformation. Lord, how humbling it is to stand here before such great people and to be able to share your heart. And in no way, Lord, are you trying to guilt us or shame us or condemn us for anything. But Lord, I pray that there would be somewhat of an aggravation in our hearts to where we wouldn't settle, to where we would continue to pursue, to pursue you with all of our hearts, completely vulnerable, ready and willing to listen. Lord, give us a hearing ear. Give us a hearing ear. Come on, keep praying, keep praying. Thank you, Lord. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Lord, I thank you that your heart is for Elmani. That your heart is for South Elmani. Lord, I pray right now for Mayor Gloria, Lord, that you would expand her ear, expand her her hearing ear in this moment, Lord. Thank you for Temple City, for Arcadia. Your heart is for those cities. 
Baldwin Park. Come on, if whatever city you live in, just speak that out. Just speak that name out. Your heart is for transforming these cities, these towns, the San Gabriel Valley. Thank you, Lord. Lord, give us a hearing ear. before this whole thing is over, before this whole thing is over, that the church is going to be a radiant, bright, glorious witness to the nations of the goodness of God. And it will be undeniable. One of my favorite scriptures, let me read this, Isaiah 60, says this. This comes out of the Passion Translation, by the way, and it says, rise up in splendor, Be radiant, for your light has dawned, and Yahweh's glory now streams from you. Look carefully. Darkness blankets the earth, and thick gloom covers the nations, but Yahweh arises upon you, and the brightness of his glory appears over you. Verse 3, nations will be attracted to your radiant light, and kings to the sunrise glory of your new day. Listen, God is not finished. God is not finished. He is ready to demonstrate his power and his kindness to people today. Romans 2 says that it's his kindness that leads to repentance. There's going to be a time where people recognize the goodness of God on you and they're going to be like, they're good but they're not that good. (laughs) That must have come from God. That's going to draw them into the heart of the Father. That's going to draw them in to the kingdom. And it's what's needed for today. There's a fresh move of what God is doing today, and it's for today. Have you ever thought why God placed you on his timeline of history for now and not 100 or 1,500 years ago? You are alive for right now because you are part of his plan. You are part of his story to bring heaven to earth today. So rise up, be radiant, and let the glory of the Lord stream from you because society is positioned for transformation. They're eager just need to see it demonstrated in somebody's life. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. May we be a people who value your presence and who carry your presence well by maintaining a hearing ear to your voice. In Jesus' name. Love you. Tonight, 6 o'clock, we have Bible study, Identity Kingdom Kids. We'll see you tonight. Have a great afternoon. Love you.